Soul Center listeners, this is Baruch Halevi, and just a quick announcement. I am moving my content around the Defiant Spirit to its own channel. You can find that at defiantspirit.org or on the My Soul Centered website. You can sign up for the podcast there and learn about all kinds of other things I'm doing around the Defiant Spirit. Soul Centered as a podcast will continue on. Ariel and I will continue to work together to bring to you shared content, but all of my work will be found at defiantspirit.org. So sign up for the podcast and much more. Until we meet, shalom, salam, namaste, peace. Welcome to The Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Rabbi B. This is The Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. All right, welcome back to the Meaning Project podcast and the Defiant Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel A. Franz, here with Rabbi Baruch Halevi, and we are joining forces once again today to form the dynamic duo of Rabbi B and Dr. D. It is that time of year where we, uh, you know, we we take a break from our Enneagram and MBTI uh, studies and, and pontification. And, you know, I was thinking today, I don't know if this is a uniquely American holiday or if this is a worldwide holiday, but we are approaching the holiday of love, Valentine's Day. And B and I wanted to talk a little bit about the the meaning of love and, and kind of some therapeutic ideas from logotherapy and existential analysis and our perspectives on it. So uh, B, if you don't mind me asking, uh, you know, what's love got to do with it? Well, it's not, you're not going to burst out in the song, are you? <laughs> oh, nobody <laughs> would like that. Trust me. Um, yeah, thanks, Tina. Um, so, yeah, I feel like Rabbi B and Dr. D is like some, you know, like a rap group we should form. I don't know. That sounds pretty oh, cool. I was picturing capes and a mask and like, you know, saving <laughs> or people. Or there's the from... superhero route. There's right. Superhero. We, we got to save people from meaningless <laughs> lives. You know, if everybody said my full name like you did, I wouldn't have ended up as B. But you say it like a champ, man. Baruch oh, Baruch. my gosh. I've been practicing for hours, man. No kidding. I was telling tell, that around all day. Tell my uh, in-laws to practice, will you? So they, they like butcher it. So I ended up as B. It was just easier. But you do it like a champ. So um, what's love got to do with it, according to our teacher, Dr. Victor Frankel? Everything. It's, it's just everything. And we'll get there. I don't want to jump to the punchline. But... I think that, um, you know, there's two ways to look at this holiday. You can either look at it kind of skeptical and from a jaded perspective, it's Hallmark, it's, you know, consumerism, or you can look at it as an opportunity to check in with an important foundational value and concept in our lives. It is, it is the, the backdrop of every song almost that's ever been written. It is the backdrop of most movies. Like, it is that significant that I think we should have a day to at least have a conversation about it, if not take your spouse out to a nice dinner. Agreed. And and I think, you know, in the in the global sense of it, in the commercial sense of it, we think of it as that one-on-one -on -one relationship with the person most connected to us, our intimate partner, our spouse. But 
in our realm, in the realm of logotherapy and meaning, it means so much more. Um, I hope this isn't hyperbole, but, you know, Dr. Frankel tells us that love is truly one of the most significant ways, maybe the most significant way to discover meaning in our lives, that by it is the ultimate act of self-transcendence, of stepping outside ourselves to embrace somebody and, and their differences from us and to truly love them. Well, it's such an important starting point because, you know, as we teach and like we try and live in, in, you know, from a logo therapeutic perspective, we're not here to get to the top of Maslow's pyramid of being the best version of B I can be. Or if we are, the top of the pyramid isn't where it stops. Self-actualization is, you know, how Maslow would have referred to it. And I know it's far more sophisticated as all ideas are than just that. But we also know that, at least according to Frankel, to self-actualize, to become the best version of me, I got to go beyond me. I got to I got to get past me. I have to be a part of something. I have to give to someone that self-transcendence. And there are many ways we can get there, but I think it's safe to say love is the most obvious, probably the most important of all of them. I think that's such a good point, right? Uh, many of us, whether we've studied psychology or, or other related fields or just in general, most people have heard of Maslow's hierarchy, right? And the pinnacle of Maslow is self-actualization. And logotherapy, meaning-based psychology says, no, no, we're going to go a step further, right? Because to truly self-actualize means to self-transcend. If, if you want to be the ultimate you, you have to help others be the ultimate them, and that really is probably the most loving act you can do. If I may, you know I come prepared with all kinds of books, right? If we go to, uh, and, I, and I've been quoting this a lot on social media this week with Valentine's Day coming, from the good doctors, doctor in the soul with all my, these are terrible bookmarks, but um, his chapter on the meaning of love, right? Love is living the experience of another person in all their uniqueness and singularity, uniqueness and singularity, right? Truly experiencing that other person for who they are, that's not easy. It's not easy. Um, and it's also, um, it's so complicated. Like, you know, our last couple podcasts have been about MBTI and the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I do use the Enneagram is because um, it's hard to know our motives, right? We really have to check our motives and see like, where is it coming from? I work with a lot of Enneagram twos. They're called the helper. And oftentimes they, they're giving to get, they don't mean to, they don't realize that it. it's their default system. And so they'll be giving love, you know, demonstrating love as a way to get it back. And you can feel when somebody's mm. giving you something to get something in return, it's not necessarily explicit and it's not coming from a malicious place, but there feels like there's something in there that's more about them than me. You've received one of those gifts before, those gifts. <laughs> and it's just so important to kind of dig down underneath as to where's it coming from so that I can get past me. Cause Baruch B has lots of agendas. I got, I got lots of, as we call them parenting teenagers, I got lots of dirty motives. Mm -hmm. We all do. All human beings have dirty motives if unchecked, if unconscious. And so we really got to ask ourselves, 
where is this coming from? Is it a gift I'm giving because it's something they need, want, or do I want to give it to them so I kind of have a, a hook? Wow. So many factors in there. First of all, understanding yourself so you can understand your motives. Without a fair degree of introspection and self-understanding, we don't know what our motives are. We just act, right? Human beings, that's especially in our world today, we just act out of very often impulse or, or, or the next thing. Hopefully, hopefully it's the next right thing. It's the, the next meaningful decision. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just the stress survival instinct trying to get by. And when we operate that way in our families, in our in our relationships, in our work relationships, in our relationships with our loved ones, sometimes we miss that opportunity to assess our motives and truly understand. So to step back, to review, to ask ourselves, am I doing this just so I'll get something? Or am I doing this in a self-transcendent way to truly love my partner, my spouse, my children, my coworkers. That's right. And it's not that, you know, like no human being is altruistic. I don't care who you are. Like we all are complex beings living in this world. So it's not about becoming, you know, a mother Teresa in every act. It's more about what you said, Dan, is self, you know, awareness, introspection, doing this work so that I know me better so that I can go beyond me easier. Not that I'll ever live permanently in that place of transcendence. We live in the real world. But the more I can come back to, I know my pattern. Like, for instance, as an Enneagram 8, per our recent conversations, I really need to sense control. I feel out, when I'm out of control or when things around me are out of control, I have a hard time breathing. And so sometimes I'll be directing traffic in my family, as an example, and people feel corralled. I don't realize I'm doing it and it is coming from a loving place. Okay. I want everybody to be safe, but now I'm much more aware of checking that spending time looking at where's this coming from and is it truly me transcending myself or am I just stuck in Beeville going around and around and again. So in, in my language of MBTI, um, I'm right there with you. I will plan over plan uh, every event we'll take vacations for example to make sure we maximize everybody's enjoyment and everybody has the best time possible and that doesn't always work because just because i enjoy planning not everybody else wants that you know when you go to disney you have to plan the heck out of that trip minute by minute trip uh, uh, ride by ride and and that man that fit in my wheelhouse and i was exhausted at the end of it but you going don't have to, to do that you don't you don't have to do that i just have to go with somebody who does that you know, right. I have to do it <laughs> you have so, to do that, it. so that you don't have to, so that my wife and children don't have to, so the people that go with us don't have to. Um, but then there are other trips that, and I think we talked about this, you know, the loving thing to do is say, hey, I'm going to plan to be flexible so you can embrace, right? So I can, heck, so I can embrace the true you, the you that doesn't want to get up at the crack of dawn to go ride whatever mountain or um embrace the you that wants to sleep in and just kind of meander about by by doing that i'm truly loving my wife my children that's beautiful right it isn't it, it doesn't define love by you know some formula it's it's based on you it's based on how you need to give it's based on your wife and your kids and what they need to receive and you go into this process of really looking at it but that's to me, that's what love does because 
we only care about details when we care about something. Mm -hmm. And so I can tell you all the intricacies and the details of my relationship with my wife. I could go on and on for hours about how complex it is. I can't tell you anything about the barista at Starbucks who I see every day. It makes me my double uh, tall uh, soy latte. I'm just saying that in case you ever want to buy me a double tall soy latte. I'm in. And, but there's no intricacy, right? There's no complexity. There's no arguing, rarely, like she'll, she, maybe she'll be off once in a while. But that complexity, that nuance, right, reflects the depth of a relationship. And, mm -hmm. and that means you got to do a lot of introspection. You got to do a lot of contemplation. You got to really think these things through. To me, that is also um, an aspect, a major aspect of love. Mm -hmm. it, it goes back to that idea, as, as we saw in just that one line of embracing their uniqueness and singularity. You can't embrace it if you don't know what it is. And, and to truly yes. understand that in a non-reactive kind of way with, with our partners, with our spouses, with our children, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes children can be the uh, greatest force for uh, quick reaction in my lives. I mean, I don't know what it is in their 17 and 19 years that they have developed behaviors that in some way go right to my adrenal glands. I don't know how they did it. It didn't take them long. Um, and oh. so for me, the loving thing is to learn not to react out of adrenaline, frustration and annoyance, but to, as, as the good doctor says, between stimulus and response is the opportunity to pause and, and to react and to consider our reactions. And uh, I believe children are the greatest force for uh, motivating us to do that. Well, it's a good thing Valentine's Day isn't dependent upon like. Right. Because, uh, <laughs> I love you kids, but you're teenagers. I don't really like you. I'll, I'll like you again in a few years. But uh, um, but I think it's a, a really important thing we're also talking about here on this kind of Valentine's Day conversation is it isn't just about Eros. Right. It isn't mm -hmm. just about what we tend to think of as Valentine's Day, which is, you know, two lovers, which is a beautiful piece of love. But there's all mm -hmm. there's all types of love. And we are, um, I think, as a society, sometimes romantic junkies, mm -hmm. right? Raising this thing up to impossible standards and only taking one aspect of love and not looking at these others. And I think anything that causes us to go truly beyond ourselves, to serve, to tend, to give, that, that is love from a logotherapeutic kind of worldview. The moment I've left myself for other, lots of different reasons how and why that's love mm -hmm. so you're saying um what the peacock channel was just promoting as i was trying to get to the women's olympic hockey game um that love that display of whatever current mass media movie is out there that that may or may not truly be love huh <laughs> i know this changes everything but <laughs> right. I, well, I, um... I think we're oh go ahead well, I, in my counseling practice, I see it all the time. I'm sure you do too, is helping, especially couples, reorient themselves to what is authentic love. And authentic mm -hmm. love, you know, a piece of it may be romance, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's a piece of the pie. It's not the mm -hmm. pie. And if we continue to be hold out these ideal images, you know, especially I see it with middle-aged men that want something maybe that is you know, not at the chapter they're in in life. And if you're mm -hmm. going to go look for it outside of the marriage, you're missing out on the holistic approach to love. And you're remembering one slice of the pie. 
I, I fully agree. And not many students of logotherapy and therefore not many of the people we work with realize that Dr. Frankel wrote prolifically on, um, I believe you said Eros, we'll call mm -hmm. it int uh, intimacy um, in, in, the, in the clinical realm. But let's face it, it's, you know, it's sex. When we talk about that, many, many of us middle-aged men are encouraged through mass, I don't know about encouraged, sold to, marketed to in, in the mass markets uh, today that, you know, we should be seeking something better, right, yeah, appearance-wise, and there's always something else. But as you said, to come back to this idea of investment and, and truly embracing the uniqueness and singularity of that person we chose to be with opens us up to a whole other opportunity to discover meaning. I, I'm assuming, you know, your audience is pretty, um, is older and sophisticated enough we can uh, go down this path. Um, but I Well, counsel... if not, we're about to find out here pretty soon. So let's do it and see what <laughs> so... happens. I, I teach a class called Finding God in the Orgasm as an aside, and that goes over real well in houses of worship, let me tell you. But <laughs> we, um, we have, Can you we come have... on down to uh, Farmville, USA and bring that one? I, I want to be it's, there for that. It's, it's an important conversation because we've taken a rated R, sometimes rated X text called the Bible, and it's sort of like when you watch a rated R movie on network television and they dub out all the good parts and you're like, I don't remember Caddyshack being this benign. Like it, it was had more edge to it, right? <laughs> and I think we do. I think we do a disservice to spirituality, to religion, to all this stuff. To to paint a G-rated version. We're not going to go down the R path today. We didn't talk about that. But I will say that um, I think we need to bring back this eros at its deepest level of a a meaningful sexuality and i don't mean like the shallow sex you know porn type sex i mean true eros between loving consenting adults to discover the other uh, you know as an act of self-transcendent of love and that's an important piece of it but it's not about sex and i bring this up because i counsel a lot of guys who end up telling talking to me about um, erectile dysfunction, as an example. And they'll talk to me about how they can't have that peace with their spouse anymore. And what we get to is, that's not true. Maybe you can't have intercourse, but you can have eros, you can have intimacy. There's all kinds of ways to express that energy, that thing that you're trying to touch upon that goes so far beyond physical bodies, you know, connecting in the way that you want to. So I just think it's an important thing for us to take back the power of Eros from the shallowness out in the marketplace. Sorry, yes. that was just that was like a riff. Well, no, and it's it's a great riff because again, it goes so much into the principles of logotherapy and the psychology of meaning and and writings throughout that, but especially Dr. Frankel's writings. Um for I would challenge men uh, trying to conquer erectile dysfunction before you take the blue uh, pill that is uh, so promoted on TV and online to look at uh, the doctrine of the soul, the chapter on the meaning of love. He goes into that 50 years ago. I don't know how long this this book's pretty old. And he talks about this idea that um, that I think modern society has changed. Right that kind of lack of intimacy, that inability to perform, erectile dysfunction, whatever we want to call it, 
is so mental emotional, right? If we are lacking true connection, true emotional intimacy with our partner, then our brain will not allow our body to perform. And you can go invest in a blue little pill all you want to, as we know, it increases the blood flow throughout the body. But how about how about getting your mind right, getting your emotions right, getting you know intimacy, another word for that, we call it connectedness, getting your connection right with your partner and truly loving them. I feel as though we're going lecture mode here, but hit it, B. I, I can see you got something. No. So I, I want to talk about the most erotic thing I have seen in a while. And it is like the problem well, okay, is we've... Stop. No, 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 no. I'm not going to stop. I want you to repeat that. No, 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 no. I want you to repeat that for everybody here because that. I'm going to share with you the most erotic thing I have seen. I was almost embarrassed when I saw it. I was like, I was blushing. The thing is, is you're going to think I'm talking about sex because that's, again, what we've done. And we've put so much pressure on this and we've and we've sucked out the the essence, the soul of sexuality. And it was at a coffee shop and there was a husband. I'm assuming they were married. They seemed like they were married. Like he was like 117 and she was like 122 and they're in the corner and they're sharing uh, uh, avocado toast with little egg on top. And the way that he cut it, like her hands were like so gnarled, like she couldn't even and he was cutting it and she was holding it and they just touched each other, like, you know, brushed each other's skin. And I like I felt I swear to it, I felt like I was like a voyeur. I felt bad. Like, I felt like I shouldn't be watching this. This is Eros. This is intimacy. I'm positive he's not going home to take his ED medication because they don't need it, because they found it, because this was Valentine's Day plus. And I and I just had this epiphany of, oh, my God, I want that. I felt like, you know, Harry met Sally when she's in the deli. You know, yes. I, I want that. Yes. yes. But yes. it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was gorgeous. It was self-transcendence. I mean, I can feel that beauty as you're telling me that story. I mean, it is, it, 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 it appeals to me, right? Because so often I believe in our clinical work, we, we deal with people that have lost that ability to connect in such an intimate way. And if we can just real, first of all, I mean, at, at those ages, they have obviously cultivated that arrows, that intimacy for decades, but what a beautiful thing. And I think that's our call to remember in this Valentine's day season it's not about jumping on Amazon and ordering up a trinket really quick. It is about truly loving our partner in their uniqueness and singularity in challenging ourselves and looking at ourselves and saying, how can I transcend me mm -hmm. to be more connected with you? Dr. Wayne Dyer, another teacher of mine, I'm sure, you know, you heard of mm -hmm. Wayne Dyer. Everybody's heard of Wayne Dyer. Um, a blessed memory, by the way, passed away a few years ago. He, um, has this little cliche and it's, it's, you know, it's cheesy, but it has affected the way I look at it. It's intimacy is into me see, and it's mm -hmm. about seeing. I think of the movie Avatar. Did you ever see Avatar? Oh, absolutely. It's so good. So what do they see as, a, you know, hello and goodbye. I see you, mm -hmm. right? I see you. And when I do marital counseling, that's three words. I see you. That's all we're talking about every single spouse or person or child or parent wants their other to look at them and say i see you i mean that's my job as a parent i see you it's just that simple and elegant and beautiful that's self-transcendence that's love 
Like, let's get there. Let's go there. I don't do it so easily. I'm, 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 you know, preach what I need to learn, but that's the mission. Yeah. It's so ironic because I think of, of that statement and how many times I've heard it in the past few weeks in um, new counseling experiences. I believe we're starved to be seen, to truly be seen. And as a therapist, to to work with somebody, sometimes just for the, the, the first hour, and to understand or to seek to understand, um, mm-hmm. when they can look at me and say, wow, I feel truly heard or truly seen, right? That is the, the power of good therapy, of good mentorship, of good coaching. But then how do we do that in our homes, mm-hmm. right? How do we transcend that to, as you said, to truly see our children, our spouse. And then, right, if we can do that at home, imagine what happens if we can do that in our workplace with our coworkers, with our leaders, with our managers. Well, and the other direction, which is imagine if we could do that by looking in the mirror, mm. because that is not an easy thing to do. I just did a podcast with a friend of mine who's also a client. And when we, you know, he was very candid. He shared this, so I'll share it. When he, we started out on the journey a couple of years ago, he literally couldn't look in the mirror. He couldn't hold his own gaze. There was a lot of work he had to do before he could hold that gaze. And his work has been to, to look in the mirror and see himself. Because if you can't see yourself, you can't really see anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so it's this full circle, right? Yes, it's going out into the world to see, but it's also going into the mirror. So. I can see that guy looking back at me and like, I see you. Yeah. You know? That's what and we said just a few minutes ago, right? You cannot truly love another person unless you have that ability to understand your own motives, to understand yourself, to be able to look yourself in the eye and, and know where that comes from for you. Work of a lifetime. I mean, it's just so easy to say and so mm-hmm. hard to do. Right. Um, but when I was 18 years old, my grandfather was a man of real integrity and strength and, you know, went to, uh, fought in World War II, was like D-10 or something on D-Day, um, 10 days in. And um, he said to me, I shared this on my other podcast, he, he said, um, he saw something in me he didn't like. I was doing, probably not surprising, I was like 18. And he just gave me this poem called The Guy in the Glass. If you don't know it, I'll send it to you. It's just such a, it's from 1954 by Dale Wimberly, I think. Um, but it's all about, if you don't, if you can't look at yourself in the mirror, you got nothing. Mm-hmm. You just got nothing. You got nothing to give. You've got, I don't care what you got in the bank. I don't care what you, they call you. If you can't hold that guy or guy, woman's gaze looking back at you, you got nothing. And so, really, you know, I feel like what we're talking about is the starting point of Valentine's Day has to be self actualize it by then going out into the world to other man it's like you knew where my thoughts were going that's exactly where i was going to go valentine's day starts with understanding yourself to be able to look in the mirror to be able to know what your motives are in loving those closest to you Mm -hmm. right and in doing that i mean do you go out and just click a couple buttons on amazon and order up something Or do you try to do something truly transcendent? How can you see those around you? How can you, as you said, how can you truly see those people you want to express love to? That's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. And, you know, it also might come down to um, not giving, right? Because we can give. I, I see it with, you know, having kids. You have kids. I can easily enable them. 
mm. right? I can end up giving them something I shouldn't be giving. And and what they need re, need right now is a no, as a as a loving, firm, beautiful, holy no, because I see you and I love you, and I'm not gonna give this to you. Um, and really thinking about different ways of expressing love, not just as yes. Again, I work with a lot of Enneagram twos for some reason, you know, the helpers. And they're at a place in life, the second half of life, where they're learning how to say no for the first time as an act of love. And it is so counterintuitive to them. It's almost like you can see a visceral reaction. But I, I can't say no by giving love. I, I have to be selfless. I'm not sure that's love. I'm not sure that that's how it really works. So I, I have to ask, first of all, I find it ironic that my wife is texting me while we're podcasting about love. So um, apparently uh, I have to be loving and really respond to this or I'm going to be in trouble. So, but uh, when it comes to our kids, you know, it's wait, what world do you live in be that, that no is a loving act. What are you talking about well that's definitely not perceived as a loving act <laughs> <laughs> i fully agree with you right and sometimes and, and again I, I don't mean to to kind of just dog on the on the culture these days but um i think we see it so much where children of, of either this generation or the past were were given too many yeses and too much affirmation and not enough boundaries not enough loving uh, guidance, right? And we know if you've studied anything in developmental psychology, a child's brain between the ages of 12 to 17, maybe even more, you know, into 19 and 20 now, right? Their brain, and I'll never forget this in a lecture in a, in a college course, right? Our brains at that age are wired for self-destruction, right? Hmm. Our brains are wired to push boundaries to their absolute limits to test our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual prowess. And at that age, we don't know what a boundary is. And so in those teenage years, a healthy teenager needs parental boundaries to say, I love you enough to make myself uncomfortable to say no mm -hmm. and to face your teenage wrath of what do you mean I can't go do what I want to do, dress how I want to dress, drive how I want to drive, whatever it might be as an act of love right right like right but you know that's that's the important piece in our culture and especially with um women you know we're still in, um we're still so um unfairly burdening especially i see it with women who all say that every single one of my twos who is a woman says to me the same thing i was told that saying no is not okay i was told to say yes is my role in, in a thousand different ways. And so helping them unlearn that has been really a lot of work for these women who are so bold and brave to learn how to say no, to say it lovingly to their kids mm -hmm. or to their spouse. Mm -hmm. But you can see how ingrained it is in our culture that no is bad, yes is good, yes mm -hmm. is love, and no is something else. Mm -hmm. Hard, yeah. hard stuff to unlearn. Yeah, and, and I, I believe we, we oversimplify with yes and no, right? Boundaries are healthy, knowing what who we are in our own introspection. Um, <laughs> there's so many variables there, right? Like that idea. To your point about yes, I believe. Look, B, you're the biblical scholar, so I'm gonna I'm gonna step into your territory and see how it goes. Um, I was actually just uh, you might find this funny. I was uh, uh, reading a paper for a. 
um, a Catholic priest on uh, building marriage and rebuilding marriage. And one of the things we talk about there is the idea of um, too many men, uh, and I've used this in my practice and in a peer of mine as well, too many men, if they are of a biblical sort, religious or spiritual, remember Ephesians 5, women submit to your husbands, right? That's right there in ancient wisdom. However, many men tend to forget and, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, even to the point of sacrifice. And right. So I, I believe too many women have grown up, have been trained in this idea of yes, of submit. And too many men feel like submit is the idea of you have to listen to me no matter what and forget that self-transcendent sacrificial love to truly give of yourself as a as a husband, as a father, as a man, to sacrifice, that's the ultimate love for any of us transcending the self. Yeah, you know, you turn the page past the Old Testament to the New Testament, and I'm no scholar. So um, it, it resonates. Um, but I would turn back to the beginning, to literally Genesis. Um, and if you look at who succeeds and who fails, it's um those who see their spouse their their wife their spouse succeed and those who don't fail so you look at who's the father and mother of monotheism judaism and then christianity and then islam mm -hmm. abraham and sarah they're 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 a team like they're i teach in this uh, business world sometimes they're the first startup like that, that's exactly what it is it's a startup <laughs> and it's co-founder it's the first religion in history that was a co-founded religion. It wasn't a male mystic, right? Bachelor, mm -hmm. nonetheless. Right? How many mm -hmm. how many um, traditions get started by males and bachelors? A lot of them. But this was a husband and wife team. And one of the reasons, according to the mystics, is because Abraham saw Sarah. He saw her. She was his equal. Versus who came before him? Um, Noah. Noah could have been, you know, the guy with the flood and the boat. Remember that one? He could have been the founder of monotheism, but he wasn't. He was a he's a footnote in history. Why? Here's a pop quiz, Dr. Dan. What's Noah's wife's name? Rebecca. We don't know because he never uses it. And that's Oh, you got me. And that's gotcha. yeah, what a symbol. Because she's not central and she's not a part of the conversation. She's not an mm. equal. And he's passed over for the job because ultimately you can you can see the worth of a man at least in the bible by the way he interacts or doesn't with his spouse mm -hmm. and so it's a reciprocal relationship and that's what we're talking about right it's reciprocity right reciprocity in so many things introspection understanding seeking to transcend the self and you can even call upon multiple ancient wisdom texts to really support all of these ideas, right? So this is, you know, Dr. Dan and Rabbi B, you know, spitballing about logotherapy and the meaning of love, but um, make no mistakes. This has, I mean, this goes back hundreds or thousands of years. The idea that to do a better job, you have to truly see the other. I, I, I love that phrase, right? To truly see them in their uniqueness and singularity. That's the nature of love. That's it. That's it. And, um, you know, before we wrap up, I do want to bring in Dr. Frankel again. And 
Man's Search for Meaning, although most people haven't read Doctor and the Soul, and you should, it's not as quite easy a read. You and I were talking about that earlier. So many have heard of Man's Search for Meaning, but in his journey um, surviving in the Holocaust, he has this one passage, which is, you know, it's incredibly famous and for a good reason. Um, but at the end, he says, a thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, the truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which a man, a person can aspire. And I just think it's so important to come back to over and over and over again, right? That he calls it later, um, love is um, our salvation, right? That mm. is our salvation as human beings. It's what makes everything worth it, right? It's why we're here to get to that place, to work towards that place. And I say that very, um, um, I want to say it very aware that, you know, people have lost loved ones. Like we, some people might be listening to this and their loved one has died. And when I go back to that um, passage and to thinking about Dr. Frankel, when he's sharing this in the book and his journey, he's talking about his beloved wife who was at that point dead. He didn't know it, but I think he said at some point it didn't matter because the love was real, right? That love was still his that love was still alive, even if his beloved wife's body was dead. But that love can't die. And so, you know, like if you don't have that person across from you on Valentine's Day, if they've died or if you haven't yet met them, they're out there. That love still is real. And it's just so important, I think, for us to get that message across, because otherwise somebody could go through this day or listen to our message going. But what about me? I'm alone without my beloved. Right. And it's not a, in some ways, the holiday, the celebration of Valentine's Day is about that one beloved. But what we talk about, the meaning of love, is about you as an individual loving those around you in, in a transcendent kind of way. And in doing that, it is your opportunity to discover meaning in your life, to truly transcend the self, to reach out, to make your world better, to make the world around you better, to make your community better. So yeah, the holiday is about flowers and Hallmark and cards, but the meaning of love is about stepping outside yourself and making making your world a better place. And to see and to be seen. Beautiful, love that one. Great place to end, huh? Absolutely, man. I don't like. I was thinking that we got to wrap up here soon, but the irony is there's so you know you you can't encapsulate the knowledge you and I have and the readings we've done and, and the books on logotherapy and meaning in a 45 minute podcast. That's a great introduction for anybody that wants to come in and learn more about logotherapy, the psychology of meaning, the meaning of love, how we can truly love one another. You can find me at danielafranz.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-A-F-R-A-N-Z.com. B, where can we find you? I've tried to make it as easy as possible. Just go to defiantspirit.org and you'll get to my website and uh, love to hear from you. And we got to give them a little pop quiz at the end, right? So to see to see who stuck around the longest. So it's your turn. It's your week. Give them something to email us oh wow you're putting me on the spot if you've stuck around this long first of all to those of you that stuck around last time and commented 
on uh, both of our hairstyles for those of you that watch the YouTube or that know us personally. Thank you. You know, you can tell that if you're watching on YouTube or if you know who we are, B and I put a lot of effort in our hairstyles, right? I mean, these these dudes have been cultivated over years of stress and, uh, you know, love, love for our families, love for our fellow man. So thank you for sticking around and noticing that. Um, you know what? If you stuck around this long, share with us, comment, email, social media, whatever it takes, send a smoke signal. Let us know what you did for those closest to you for Valentine's Day. Did this podcast have an impact? Did you make a change? Did you do something truly loving? And if not, that's okay. But what did you do for those around you for Valentine's Day? Would love to hear from you on that. You can get a hold of either one of us on our websites. Of course, these are posted on social media. Love to hear from all of you out there. Always great being with you, B. My honor and pleasure to chat with you uh, every time we get together. Thanks, brother. Always a pleasure. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast. I would love to hear from you, to get to know you, to set up a discovery call, to see how we might work together. I work with clients across the world by phone or Zoom to discover deeper meaning and greater purpose at what I call life's tees. Tests, transitions, trials, traumas, tragedies. If you're at one of life's tees and you're looking for deeper meaning and greater purpose, then please reach out to me and I can help you discover, awaken, and live the defiant power of your spirit. Until we meet, shalom, salam, namaste, peace.